Welcome to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast, a journey of self-discovery and transformation. Moira Sutton and her amazing guests share real-life stories, tools, and strategies to inspire and empower you to create and live your best life. Come along on the journey and finally blast through any fears, obstacles, and challenges that have held you back in the past so you can live your life with the joy, passion, and happiness that you desire. Now, here's your host, Create the Life You Love Empowerment Life Coach, Moira Sutton. Welcome to episode 19, Moving from Grief to Gratitude, with our special guest, Martha Hunt Handler. Martha Handler was raised in Northern Illinois, where she began to see wolves in her dreams from a very young age. She was always a nature girl. She spent her free time either swimming in a lake near her house or roaming around in the enchanted forest near her home. It was here that she first heard nature speaking to her and asking her for help while also promising guidance in this endeavor. Martha is an environmentalist, an award-winning author, and the board president of the Wolf Conservation Center. Her first novel, Winter of the Wolf, was recently published by Greenleaf in July 2020. In her novel, Martha brings together two very important pieces of her life, the death of her best friend's son and her work as president of the Wolf Conservation Center to tell an empathetic and powerful story with a powerful, jam-packed messages. Martha sees magic at work everywhere around her. She does not believe in coincidence, only coincidence. I love that. And things that you hear, see, and feel can help you remind you of your soul life's path. So without further ado, I am so excited to introduce you to our special guest, Martha Hunt Handler. Welcome, Martha. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be with you today. I'm really excited for to talk to you. I'm so excited. And I feel like you're a kindred soul right from you know the beginning because oh, we both like nature. We both speak to nature. We both speak to animals. <laughs> we have that spiritual connection. And I just feel that kindred spirit between you and I. So that's it's going to be so much fun to really bring your wisdom from your heart and soul to our audience today. So thank you. I'm excited to be here and jump into nature. Yes. Well, let's start going back to part of your intro there. That Can you share us when you really began to see magic at work, like everywhere around you when, you, when you first heard that nature was speaking to you and asking you for help? And you have nature with you now with your two beautiful dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love on, that. On cue. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> by the time I was four, I was allowed to just – sort of wander out on my own by myself into the woods in my backyard. And I heard, you know, literal voices, I, you know, the rabbit sounded different than the hawk, which sounded different than the tree. And hmm. there was lots of um, angst on their part. And I wasn't sure in the beginning what the angst was centered on. But then it became very clear because the area that we were living in, we were the first house in what was going to become a fairly large subdivision. So they were already feeling the vibrational change of what was about to happen. Mm. I didn't know that everyone couldn't hear animals. And when I would mention it to my parents or a friend, I got got very strange looks. Mm -hmm. So I started cluing into that this was my gift and I needed to figure out, you know, what I was going to do with it. I also love to read and, and to write. And I thought, well, maybe I'm hearing their voices because I'm supposed to be writing about and telling people the stories that they aren't able to tell others. So my first memory of writing a book, I was seven and my parents were out to dinner. I was, with a babysitter and I wrote this book called the runaway bunny about this bunny that was running away from uh, some, a house that was being built and trying to find a new house. And when I gave it to my parents, when they came home that night, 
my father was very dismissive and said, well, it's not a very good, interesting story. The graphics are awful and writers don't make any money. And so I tell people this because I feel like, especially at young ages, we're very tuned into maybe what our, what our gifts are here. Mm-hmm. And then when someone says something negative or dismissive, especially somebody who we respect and look up to, that can be enough to just turn it off. So I don't think I thought about writing again for a very long time. And I ended up becoming an environmental consultant thinking that was one way to give back to nature. Although my heart was just not ever resonating with it. I was writing very technical papers and always felt in the back of my mind very unfulfilled with what I was doing and trying to figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing. And as you mentioned earlier, I've had one wolf in particular that has shown up in my dreams and is always frustrated with me, trying to point me in a new direction. And sometimes I understood it, but I think a lot of the times the wolf was trying to tell me to be a writer and I just wasn't willing to go there because my dad's words were so deeply stuck in my head. And I remember, you know, there was teachers along the way that if I'd been open to it and listening, my English teacher um, as a junior in high school, I think was the first person who really, you know, was like, I feel like you're a very talented writer and you should really work on this and, you know, read more and write down your thoughts about things. And then I had another teacher in college who said the same thing, but I just thought, I could hear my dad's voice. You're never going to make money. Who makes money as a writer? That's never going to happen. So uh, it took, you know, a really long time, like this tragic event, which was my best friend calling me. I, at that point, lived in Los Angeles. She was still where we grew up in Illinois, calling me to tell me that um, she found her 12-year-old son hanging. And she and I were brought up really spiritually. Her mom taught a spiritual class to um, us young girls all through high school uh, about kind of connecting to our guides and, you know, believing in serendipity and all the things that are speaking to you each and every day that you might miss if you're not really open enough to hear them and see them and smell them. And my mother was much the same way. She would always say to me, if I was going to ask a question, she would always look at me and say, well, what does your gut say? Which I love. And I Uh think like it's the best thing a parent can do because yeah, your gut is telling you all the time, right? You know, you get emotions, right? Your hair stands on end, you get Mm -hmm. goosebumps, your stomach starts feeling weird or, you know, the opposite, you feel incredibly calm and, you feel like you've know, known somebody much longer than the few minutes you've been with them, like I felt with you. Yes. <laughs> um, but there's just like a connection there, but those feelings are so amazing. Um, I have that, I've read that wonderful book called The Gift of Fear that talks a lot about this, that you feel so much, but it's so easy to shut it down and not believe in it. So it was so important to me to, to finally honor that. And I felt it, well, when, when he first passed, I was just lost because mm-hmm. she was my best friend and I wanted to help her so badly, but I couldn't imagine because we'd been sort of taught, well, you know, you're here for the time that you're supposed to be here to learn the lessons that you're supposed to. And sometimes those are cut short if you're not maybe in the right place or the right family or the right time for you to learn those lessons. So we were talking a lot about, well, how, what did he do in his 12 years that he would be gone already? And she was, you know, inconsolable. And it made me also realize how completely different suicides are from other deaths in that on top of the loss of your child, you have, blame and shame and guilt. People were asking her, well, if he was so sick, why wasn't he getting any kind of help? Why wasn't he seeing a therapist? Why wasn't he on an antidepressant? And the truth was, there was no signs of this. It came out of nowhere. He was a very 
the well-adjusted, happy boy, you know, from everything that she knew. So that was equally hard because it isn't, it's just a whole different death to deal with. People say really awful things. They're not really thinking. And I, I understand that, but it's just still incredibly hurtful. So one day I was ice skating on a lake and just thinking a lot about this. I'd been journaling about it ever since she called to tell me because I just wanted to find some words that would be comforting for her. So I was just jotting down my feelings about the whole thing and what can I do and please somebody out there, give me some advice so I can help her through this. Cause I felt she was really falling apart. Um, almost immediately her marriage fell apart. She was on a very different path than her husband, I think always, but this really highlighted it. And then when I was skating this one day, all of a sudden I heard her son's voice and he was very strong. And he said, you've been wanting to write a novel and this is it. Those journal entries are the beginning of a novel. Use my story. So it's not exactly his story, but I would say he stayed with me through the 18 years it took to get this published, always sort of egging me on to go further, to take it deeper, to um, explore more of the things in my life that I had yet left sort of undiscovered. So it was such a great, I mean, 18 years is a long time to be writing a novel, but it changed so much over the years. And I was so happy when it was finished because it brought so much of who I am and what I believe in and me reconnecting to all those things that had been so important that I'd sort of shelved. Um, And it seems like that's sort of this time right now. Also just, I think COVID is making me settle way down and digging in even deeper. So I'm it's a horrible thing that I say. I'm grateful to be quarantined because I feel like I needed it. I feel like a a lot of other people are feeling this connection. I know a lot of people are reaching out to me um, on my website that are commenting on the book, but also commenting on experiences they've had from reading my book and how it moved them. Because as we, you know, talked in our pre-brief, if there's one thing I want readers to take from this, it's, that instead of, well, you can't stop the process of grieving, but at the it's end of the personal. day- It's very yes, personal. It's very personal. It's very personal. And there's a, lots of different ways yeah. to do it, which is, I think the book um, highlights a bunch of them. Um, but at the, the end of the day, you just want to be grateful that you had the soul in your life for the time that you did mm-hmm. and to keep that person alive by talking to them and- you know, asking other people if they can share stories with you so that it's the life didn't end. It continues on forever in your memories and your photographs and your experiences. So that would be like my biggest takeaway, I think. Because mm-hmm. I, I know some people, well, for myself, even it's coming up. Uh, Halloween um, is time that my brother died last year in a battle of cancer. And just in the last week, I've started getting very emotional about 6, 6.30 at night and just tears coming up and crying. And, you know, and I said to my husband last night, I just want you to sit in front of me and just listen to what I have to say. And, you know, it's not a conscious thing. It's just, it's all coming up. And I, I'm very aware that, you know, that he's, I, I, I know he's in spirit. I can talk to him in spirit. I can see him in spirit, <laughs> but it's, it's not a, uh, it's not an intellectual thing. It's something deeper. And, you know, and I know other people that this would really help in what you're saying, because there's other people I know who somebody's passed maybe two years ago. One in particular is my best girlfriend's, um, her father, her mother still hasn't got over it. Um, she's still grieving. But when the people who have gone back into spirit, because we're infinite beings, as you know, we it's infinity, we don't die, we live the physical form. But we, we continue. And you know, when you're in spirit, you wouldn't want the person who's still in physical form to be um, in pain or hurting or, you know, go on with life because life is a, truly a miracle and a gift. True. So true. Um, I have, since the COVID, I've had um, four, no, six of my kids. My kids are all in their 20s. Mm-hmm. I have four of them. They've lost six friends. I'd say, you know, 
loosely friends. None of them were very connected anymore, but they had known them very well in high school, um, have overdosed. And wow. it's been really emotional because if I know this many people, I can't imagine how many the total number is because all of them had been clean for a number of years. So, you know, just the COVID had sent them off just being alone or whatever, something happened. Mm -hmm. But one of them, I knew the mother really well and I had called her to see how she was doing. And I knew she was like us, very spiritual. And she said, you know, you have to listen to the story. So I was driving to the bookstore to Barnes and Noble and saying, you know, out loud in my car, like her son's name was Sean, like, Sean, I'm going to the bookstore. I know you're with me, but not having you physically here is really hard for me. And I'm going to, I need a book right now. So when I get to that bookstore, you need to lead me somewhere that's going to help me out with this. So she goes to Barnes and Noble and she walks in the door and there, the music playing is this very strange um, guitar solo, which was her son's ringtone. And she mm -hmm. said, you know, it's the strangest sound. And why Barnes and Noble, who always plays like cheery music, like this was like, what? Yes. <laughs> He's like, okay, Sean, so you're here with me. So she went over to the spirituality, like self-help section and she's standing there and she said, the next thing happens that a Barnes and Noble employee comes up to her and says, can I help you? Or, you know, is there a certain book you're looking for? And she said, like, I'm looking for a sign. And she goes, oh, well, that book is right in front of your face. And she pulls out and the book is signs. And it's literally all about asking for signs of, you know, all different examples of mm -hmm. people that were feeling lost. And then said, oh, if you could just show me an elephant today, I might be able to believe that you're around me. And then mm -hmm. being open to the fact that it's probably not going to be a real elephant, but it could be an elephant on a billboard. It could be a necklace that you find. Um, yeah, all those kind of things. But she was like laughing her head off. Like it was just so perfect uh, that Sean was able to direct me in that way. And the whole the whole morning was so magical and just made me realize, okay, he's still with me. It is hard that he's physically not here for me to hug, but I know he's here and I know mm -hmm. he's got, you know, many lives ahead of him. And he just, I just need to reconnect with him and thank him for showing up. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I, I know that when my, my husband was going through, and we talked about this, this last year, he's gone through cancer and, and heart problems and a lot of challenges along with COVID. And I asked at the beginning, and I already knew we have angels around us and archangels, but I asked for a sign anyway. I asked for the dove to show up for us, like to just the dove being the angel show up. And we had the dove showing up on our windowsill and our, in our bedroom, you know, on our deck, like every day, these two doves would show up and they don't now, but they did during that time. And I know if we ask for a sign or that we're given it, like you said, we don't know what form it shows up in, but we're, we're never alone. We're so loved and so supported. And if we, if we align with that and knew that we wouldn't be in this, some of us playing our life small, we're here to live this bigger, bigger life and vision. So true. And I, it was so hard watching in the beginning of COVID in New York city, all these people that were grieving so much worse because they couldn't get last rights to their loved ones. And I'm thinking, well, this is so sad <laughs> that, mm -hmm. you know, you feel like what they're not going to go to heaven if these words don't get spoken in front of, I mean, it's just the strangest thing to me because I think all of us that have felt this and know this on such a deep level, the world would just be so much better off if you could just be open enough, right. To ask for the sign and then to be open to look for it, listen for it. It's just, yeah, it doesn't have to be as painful as we're making it. So let's, let's just talk about that because winter of the, you know, winter of the wolf is about seeking the truth, no matter how painful, like you spoke about in order for us to see the bigger vision, the bigger truth behind our life. How, how would you, say to someone else for their personal journey, what, what would you say to them how to seek their truth? Because we're both connected into the spiritual realm. And I had this conversation with my father-in-law the other week 
that his wife, she's right there beside you. And he was asking me, how do you see them? How do you talk to them? And, you know, we're multidimensional beings and, you know, and he's going to be 103 this weekend. So happy birthday. Wow. Yes. And he said, I don't have that gift. I said, we all have it. There's a trusting to just start to quiet that mind and go within. And I think the people you were saying, which is tragic in their 20s, leaving that a lot of people aren't comfortable being quiet within themselves. They have to be busy, busy, busy. And when you get quiet and you you start spending time with yourself, that's scary for a lot of people. But what advice would you give for people to seek their own truth? I think, you know, what you said is so important that it's not that one person has a gift and other people don't. It's, we all have it and it's just Mm -hmm. opening up to it. And there's so many books out there and so many, you know, you could just do YouTube videos for all these different things. And there's just so much proof. I feel like Um, in the back of my book, I have a bunch of resources that I think, you know, books that have helped me over the years, but it's just overwhelming how much there is, how many people have, you know, had near-death experiences and how beautiful it is. Um, to do the research for my book, I went back and um, uh, read, uh, what's her name that did all the, the studies with young kids, um, the stages of grief, I have your book here. Um, you have all books by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Yeah, so she's the one. So Yes. She did this one study where she spent a lot of time in adolescent, um, with adolescent terminal patients, and especially really young ones that were like two, three, four, because it hasn't been that long since they were, you know, quote unquote home, they kept talking about that they couldn't wait to, wait to get there. And they felt comfortable saying that to her, but not to their parents because they didn't want their parents to feel bad. But they remembered how wonderful it is when you're on that other plane and reconnected with all of your spiritual guides and your ancestors and the angels and like, it's just the warmth and love that we can't even probably Mm -hmm. understand on this level. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful to read what these little kids say. Cause they're so close still to their soul. And then as we go on, I mean, we forget more and more and more, the feeling gets further and further apart. And so yeah, it's harder, harder to remember that. And you start really fearing death. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, Wayne Dyer talks very much around that, around death and, and have been that we're, we're infinite beings. And, and if we only got that now and passed it, then we wouldn't be doing that anymore. My thing is if somebody's in pain, that's the one that's hard for me. You know, if you're in pain, and especially today, these people that are, are in the hospital and they can't see their loved ones, I would think that's Pretty, pretty hard. <laughs> pretty, pretty hard. Yes. Pretty, pretty hard. So you have this passion for wolves, of course, and, you know, writing. So I want people to hear out there, whatever age you are, you know, we're both young, you and I. <laughs> so young. <laughs> so young, lots of wisdom. How, how do they really discover their purpose? That's a big one out there for people. They, I, I don't think they realize that. Well, I know how I teach it, but how would you teach somebody to discover their purpose? I know we covered a little bit kind of around this, but not directly. If I was, you know, talking to parents, I think the best gift that you could give your child. So this was my mommy and me teaching when my first child was like three months old. And she told us to write an annual letter to our child to talk about who they were, you know, what what kind of things that they really love doing. Um, What topics did they find most interesting? That's wonderful. Yeah, if they have free time, what they're going to do. So when I turned 60 last year, and none of my kids, I have four, none of them knew that I had been writing these letters every year. And (laughs) there were many years that it was, I remember one one of my sons called up and said, you know how you started off my 15th year? He said, I'm sure there's something nice to say about you this year, but I can't think of a single thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, Because he was like a really trying child. He was just, I don't know. But 
so when I first gave them these books on my birthday, they're looking at me like, what, what is this? And <laughs> no, Cause each year I wrote like three or four or five pages worth uh, of who they were. And then they would just be calling me at all hours of the night. Like I just read, you know, <laughs> you know, that when I was three, all I cared about was airplanes. I don't even remember that. And that's, you know, the job that I'm looking for right now. So it was just like, you know, that, I just think that's like a really neat thing that you could do for your kids because there's so much that you forget about yeah. what they like to do. Yes. Yes. I think that's wonderful. I, I wrote for one year every day of my son's life, but uh, for you to do that for the length of time you did, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's wonderful. And I think it's a, a great um, exercise for people to explore, especially again, yes. people having time right now, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to learn something? Then go start it. Just start it, whatever that is. That's Yeah, I think jump in. And it's so amazing with all the classes that you can take online now. So, you know, you don't have to even expend much energy because you're not driving to some school to take this evening class. You can take it anytime you want. You know, like I'm doing, uh, I've always wanted to do car- be a cartoonist. So oh. I'm taking like just beginning drawing classes just to figure out how what my style is going to be and where I'm going to go with that that's excellent yeah it's really been fun and I'm taking a watercolor class uh what else am I doing yeah I have like this whole list of things that I've wanted to do and now because of lockdown I've got real time and energy and space to do it and I'm just really expanding so much more and some things I do and I'm like, yeah, that's not really as fun as I thought it was going to be. But most of the things I'm finding are really interesting and fun. And it's so good to be using the right side of my brain, especially you can imagine writing Witch of the Wolf was very heavy. So it was a lot of years um, <laughs> dealing with death. So to be on the other side of that and having, you know, people reach out to me and thank me for, you know, what it's done for them and connecting with all these people on a deeper level than I would have thought. Mm -hmm. There's just so much space and time to do some of the things that I feel are so important. I sort of started off this whole thing, like here I have my first novel. It took me 18 years to write and it comes out when there's no bookstores open. I was planning this big New York city, uh, book signing. I was going to go on a national tour. I had so many things planned. And then all of a sudden it was just like over. Mm -hmm. And, but now I can see like the bigger picture, like having these moments with people like you to talk about the book in maybe a much more meaningful way than I would ever get to do if I was just at a book signing in a bookstore that most of the people probably haven't even read the book or, Maybe a few have, but I don't think you get to have these kind of deep connections with people about it. That's a, that's a great point to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one thing I love about the show, you know, it, it, it started the show that you talked about 18 years. This show started 12 years ago. It was like live in person makeup, you know, right in front of the person. You had to drive somewhere, put makeup on, dress up. Yes. <laughs> then it went on to hold the Heart Soul Wisdom um, because of some production problems. I do have interviews on a hard drive, B-roll, the whole bit. But when I knew that I was going to launch this this year, I knew that Heart, Soul, Wisdom still spoke to my heart, like the, the name of the show. And, you know, this show's all about connecting with heart-centered people and creating a global movement for, you know, to raise our consciousness for the greater good of humanity and our planet. So that's being, when I know that when I was writing the intro and outro for the show, I know my family said, is, is that really what you want? And I said, that's what I'm about. <laughs> like, that's, that's the bottom end there. That's so important to me. So I'm getting, a, I'm getting a lot of that too, where they're reading my book and saying, I had no idea you had these kind of thoughts or these ideas. <laughs> How could I know you all these years and have no idea this is who you really are? I think also that, you know, when you talk about you, like myself, being very young, that we could interact with nature and animals and hear voices. I was like you. I was told, don't be telling people that. They'll think that you're a little nuts, right? And, right. and when I started dating, because I, I didn't uh, meet Cliff till I was 30, I had been engaged. It didn't work out. And, you know, and then 
my brother said to me, both of them, you know, don't be showing that side of you, like just hide that. <laughs> and I said, I don't think so. Like if somebody can't handle who I am, <laughs> right. that, won't, that won't be working. <laughs> so you know, yeah. yeah. My husband recently said to me, I feel like you're, you're more you than you've ever been. Uh, and you're so strong in being you. Yes. It's, and, it's honoring yourself. Yes. And, it, and that all starts with self-love before you can be out there as a leader and to lead others and to help them find their path and for them to have a voice as you had a voice for this book. Yes. And I feel that I'm being opened up because I can't believe how many people have amazing podcasts on this subject, you know, mm. on related subjects. Like, you know, someone will hear me on one podcast and I'll get like three more people contacting me. And Brilliant. that's been really eye opening. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but mostly I become sort of obsessed with wrongful convictions and sort of gone down that whole road. Mm -hmm. I, I visited um, a woman for six years in a maximum security prison that's just down the street from me. And that just opened my eyes to a lot of the stuff that's going on in the prison world. So that's what my podcasts have been, but to, like these are just so much more heart expanding. So that makes me feel great. Yes. Wow. So how, how does your book help family then start this conversation around grieving? Because the, the title of this podcast today with yourself, Martha, is, you know, coming from, you know, grieving and from grief to gratitude. But how do they start that conversation in their families? When people, a lot, you say a lot of people don't talk about death. It's like, mm, don't talk about that. Right. So I think, so my protagonist, Bean, is very shut down because she doesn't believe her brother committed suicide. So she can't begin to try to grieve for somebody that she thought she knew so well that she must not have known well if he would have done this. So that's her starting point. And she's really stuck in the mud. And I think everybody in the family has, is grieving completely different ways, which, so she's got, besides her brother that's passed, she's got two other brothers who she's never very close to. And because they're very, she feels aloof and cold, she assumes that they're moving right on with their life. They, they seem to be enjoying their sports, still going out with their friends. She looks at them like, boy, you, you didn't even lose a brother. And then she's got a mother who can't even make it out of bed most days. And then she's got a father who also seems like her older brothers where he's just trying to keep the family together in any way that he can dealing with his wife that is no longer able to take care of the kids or cook or, you know, take care of any of the family chores. And he's kind of shut into himself, just going along, doing everything that he needs to do. So I think it's an interesting, it's, we don't, that we don't all grieve the same, but it doesn't mean that we aren't grieving. So I think being gets very woken up to that there's many different ways to grieve and it's not something that can be judged and some people can move through it quicker than others. And, you know, her mother's sort of trying to explain that she's not depressed. She's just simply grieving and trying to come to terms with it in her own time and place. So it's, yeah, I think sometimes grief, you just have to sit into it, but I think mm. it really helps. It helped being a lot to be able to have a best friend that went along with her idea that, okay, so if he didn't kill himself, what happened to him? You know, who can we talk to? What should we do? Let's just not just sit here. Let's figure this out. And to have one person that sort of believes in you, I think is a huge help. Mm -hmm. And in doing the research to figure out what might've happened to him and talking to people, it's keeping her brother alive because everybody's got different stories and she's learning a lot about him through, he was obsessed with Inuits. So she's reading all his Inuit books and learning a lot about how this uh, one native culture deals with death and it's just opening her up to things that she already believed, but she seemed to have forgotten. Sort of like I did when this happened to my friend's son. All of a sudden, it just seemed like 
everything I learned and believed went right out the door because I couldn't, it just didn't fit. It was fine for somebody older to die, but it just didn't make sense for me for a 12 year old. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, I, I would say, you know, don't, you know, I have that, um, Banksy quote in the beginning, like we have to, we really have to keep people alive by talking about them. It makes their lives so much richer and go on forever for eternity. If we can just keep them in our thoughts and keep talking about them and laughing about the things that they thought were funny. And I love this. Yeah. Any little stories that we have. I I love this. And as you're talking, um, it's interesting. My brother came into the room because as I said, it's coming up to the one year that he passed. And the day that he passed, I went down to see my mom, who's 93. She lives in the lower suite of our home. And so I went down, of course, to see her, and we're both crying. And then, and I'm sitting by her, and my brother shows up with my dad. And then the room just filled up with love, with people. And they were all talking. And my d- mom was sharing some funny stories back both in the wartime for my dad and things my brother had done. And so it got us to laugh about those stories and talk about them. And, and my brother said, along with my dad, yes, this is what we want you to do. We want you to remember those stories and laugh about it and live. You know, that's live. what we want. And yes, and that's exactly what they said. And, you know, um, and I said to my mom, you know, he's right there, which he's coming right now. He said, this is great that Martha did this book <laughs> and that she's doing this. Like, seriously, that's what he said to me sitting right beside me. So... <laughs> I always try to think of like a bird and I think, cause like, so we, months ago we asked my mother-in-law to go on a vacation with us and she said, well, I can't, it's the five year anniversary of your father's death. And, and I was like, I, I don't even understand what you're saying. Like, so you think that every year he wants you to <laughs> sit in your apartment and cry over him. I like, try to be the bird that's looking, you know, you're this beautiful eagle and you're soaring mm-hmm. and he's looking down at you. Do you think that that's a good vision or would he love to see you with your kids and your grandkids having a great time dancing and singing and telling each other stories? I mean, <laughs> there's healing in stories. There's so much healing in stories. Now, how did you do your research on the Inuit beliefs and bring that into your book? So just like it happened in my book, when I was in second grade, I watched Nanook of the North, which (laughs) was a 1922 silent black and white movie. And I looked at Nanook and I thought he was either my father or my uncle. He was someone very close to me. I knew the face so well. (laughs) And... I was so mesmerized by the film. And I remember at one point looking back at my, the rest of my classmates who were bored to death, you know, <laughs> hurling spitballs at each other. And <laughs> the teacher was coming over and making up. I, I just remember it so well that I was seemed to be the only one that was interested in this movie. So that's where it started. And from there, I just started buying all these books and, I've always felt close to, well, I thought my, my grandfather was a native American, so he wasn't a very talkative man or didn't share anything with me, but I was like, went to school dressed like a native American. I had braids down to my waist. I wore headbands all the time. I always had fringe on. I can see that. I can see that. (laughs) I can see the image of you like that. (laughs) And then I did 23 and me a couple of years ago and he's not my grandfather. but after that I saw a psychic she goes well your genetics have nothing to do with your past lives you've been you know Native American in many different forms so it doesn't matter that the blood running through your veins doesn't show that I think that's another great thing to share that you know if you're attracted to a culture you've probably had a life in that culture. Like, you know, I, I was attracted to the Egyptian culture. And when I was in Britain many years ago, this is when I was single and young, I went through the whole museum and looked at the arts of that time period. Or, you know, if something speaks to you loudly, it's it's because it's already, it's still in you, that memory. It's still so part true. of you, like part of your whole life. When the uh, publisher first read my book, he said, 
be prepared to be attacked for writing about Inuits when you aren't an Inuit yourself. Thankfully, mm-hmm. that has not happened, but I think that's a big uh, issue right now that people are having with people writing about something that isn't, which I just think is wrong because you can do all the research in the world and you can become very informed on anything. And if it touches your heart and soul, I'm mm-hmm. sure you'll respect it and write with respect. Mm-hmm. And you become a voice for that community also. So that's a, and it's from your heart and soul. It's, it's not just like you're saying, it's something very deep within you. So, you know, you're giving all your book sales and royalties. And that's something I think is so generous in what you stand for to the Wolf Conservation Center. So what's your biggest vision for this and your big why? And and let's also explore the mission of this nonprofit environmental organization. That's a big question there. Okay. (laughs) I'll start okay. how I first got involved. Okay. I, we, our family moved from Los Angeles to New York about 24 years ago. And we rented a house while we were building our house. And as soon as we moved in, I started hearing wolves howling, which I knew wolves hadn't been in New York since like the 1850s. So I couldn't understand. I was asking all the moms at the bus stop, why am I hearing wolves? They said, oh, no, those are coyotes. And I was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> what I'm hearing is definitely wolves. Big difference from the way they sound. Mm-hmm. So one day I dropped the kids off at the bus stop and just went into the woods behind my house. And I came upon this large enclosure with three wolves in it. And there was a trailer and I knocked on the door and this beautiful French girl, she was probably at the time about 26 Uh, greeted me and she told me that she had become psychically connected to a wolf and that she was opening this nonprofit to help wolves. And she asked me if I wanted to help her. This is one of those like co-incidents because (laughs) I, I always felt like I should do something to give back to the wolves that had been showing up in my dream. Mm -hmm. And when we had moved, I had decided that I wasn't going to work anymore because we live more than an hour outside of New York city. And I just didn't really want to commit commute with four young kids. So I was going to try to find a volunteer opportunity. And this was just so perfect that it just landed literally in my, in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So I told her I would love to help her. So the things that we do at the Wolf center, we've been in existence for 21 years now. We do three things. So we, educate people. Um, back in, back before COVID, when we were open, we saw about 20,000 um, students mostly, but also families and all different kinds of groups come through our doors. And so we tell them about the importance of wolves. We have all different kinds of lectures also, not just about wolves. That could be like the difference between coyotes and, and wolves or top predators in different ecosystems. Um, then the second thing we do is we advocate on their behalf. So we go to DC to fight for bills. We have a very robust social media platform. So we're able to tell people this bill is passing. Here's who's, you know, here's who should try to call to change their mind or write this letter. Here's what form you need to fill out. And then the third thing we do is we are, part of the um, breeding and pre-release of the two most critically endangered wolf species in North America, which are the Mexican gray wolves and the red wolves. And the Mexican gray wolves were down to six in the world. So to start the breeding program, they were brought into captivity. And from those six, the whole breeding process started. So you can imagine, I mean, we are talking analytics to figure out which wolf should mate with whom and it's 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 a big endeavor the red wolves were not much better there was 14 of those and unfortunately now there are i think they're guessing there's only eight left in the wild and none of those are breeding players because they're all related to each other the mexican gray wolves have been much uh more better taken care of they're up to, we think about 150 at this point, but we are literally at the point of a frozen zoo. We freeze sperm, we freeze eggs, we 
do artificial inseminations to make it easier instead of moving wolves around because they don't travel very well. So right now we have three ambassador wolves. So we, those are the wolves you're guaranteed to see when you come. And then another... And one of them is one that I, I'm ambassador Yes, to. Aleowa, right? Yes. yes. She's beautiful. Uh, so we have so many different programs. You can adopt a wolf. You can, um, yeah, be a, become a member and get, like, first dibs. We have great, amazing videos on our website, which is nywolf.org. You can watch all these wolves at play. So the ambassador wolves, you can see the other ones we really need to keep off exhibit so that when they are released, they will keep their natural fear of humans, uh, which is so important. If they're going to survive in the wild, we need to make sure that they keep away from people. So yeah, those ones you might catch a glimpse of in a far enclosure, but they're pretty rare to get sightings of those. And even we don't have much, that's why we actually put the cameras in so that we'd know what these wolves were doing and make sure that no one was sick or injured or fighting with one another. So and we became the first place um, in the United States to have cameras on wolves. So that's why I think we have like 6.5 million Facebook followers, mostly because of these video cams. That's, so, that's, that's excellent. And this whole thing about educating people too, because I know in our neighborhood here, um, we don't have wolves here, but we have coyotes and they keep building and building around the neighborhood. And, you know, they're, they're pushing them out and pushing them out. And, I'll be asleep and I can hear like we'll have our window open a little bit in our bathroom and I can hear them. I just jump out of bed to, to go to the screen just to hear them because it speaks so much to my soul and I just know they're there, but yeah, but to protect them, like you're saying, and you know, how, how other than staying away from them and not feeding them and bringing them to us because they're wild, how can humans really better protect animals? What actions can they take? Staying away, not feeding them. What else would you recommend? I would say <laughs> make a donation to something yeah. that, you know, you it go. really talks to your heart Yes, because especially now, as you can imagine, when most places have been shut down for so long and can't have any kind of fundraisers and galas and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I know we're struggling and I'm sure I'm so connected with so many other animals um, mm-hmm. same here. because of what I do that I know we're all in the same boat that it's just been really tough. So if there's something that speaks to your heart, I mean, I used to get all the time, like Martha of all the things to care about a wolf, but you know, it's part of that education. Yeah. They are at the top of a food chain. There's a great YouTube video, how wolves change rivers that really quickly sums up what, what their role is, which is so important. Um, and is, you, is that video, also on the, on your site, Martha? Or, or I can get that video, I can get that link from you and put it below your yes. episode. Okay. Okay. Um, I think it is also on our website. Okay. But um, basically it's about the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone in 1995 and 96 and how drastically they brought the ecosystem back. And it happened so quickly and no one could have dreamt that we would have seen that kind of a turnaround. Mm-hmm. So it's just a great visual for people to quickly understand why a wolf is so important Mm -hmm. i also love you know this we talked about this too the the picture that you have on your cover with beside a hawk because you know we've talked about animal speaks and ted andrews which i think is a fantastic book for people everyone to have yes (laughs) my mine's 30 years and falling apart but i still have it and animals speak to me in my dreams all the time and you know, mine is the lunar, nighttime is the owl, but the solar daytime is my, my red-tailed hawk. So the great horned owl, red-tailed hawk, they're both on my wall, and I give them, I say, have gratitude for them every day and ask for guidance and just thank them because they're, they're very much part of my guidance with my work. So, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I'd like to, you to share one of your mantras, I would call it, um, grow or wilt. i just think like there it's there's so much so much for us to keep learning and to keep opening up about and so many resources so if you don't you know if reading is not your thing go on youtube and go on anything like yeah your death experiences or cooking or cooking or sides yeah just like you drawing 
expanding your mind Mm -hmm. is just the most important thing we can do. And maybe it's the blessing and the silver lining in this whole being shut down that you don't have all that outside interference and you can really just soar in any direction that you possibly want to. Yes. And, and, and a lot of people say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And the more they say that they don't have enough time because they're creating it energetically. Yes. (laughs) So, but yes, I I love that. And I, I kind of, I, I could go on talking to you, Martha, and we'll have you back definitely next year because I know you're going to be up to so much more too. And and this is such an important cause and what you're doing, you know, in the world and helping other people be educated. And, you know, I just, well, and grow or will. Yeah. We're all about expansions and growth, not to be small and diminished. It's we're this bigger vision of our life to really look at that and step into it with courage and, you know, commitment and we're about collaboration and community and all those great C words. <laughs> Yes. Martha, and I'm you, so oh. grateful to be connected to you oh, yeah, for so you many too. different reasons. But yeah, I feel very fortunate to be here with you for this time. It's meant a lot to me. Thank you, Martha. I feel the same about you. And that's why also I, 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 I just, and when you have this message, 18 years to write your book, but you kept doing it. You stayed in there. You were committed. You, you know, you evolved on the time and, and I'm sure you know, we've all had writer's block that we're writing and how to move through that. So maybe we'll go into that the next time that we connect up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and help other people. But right now, I, um, I'd like to, for you to share with our listeners this very special gift that you're giving them. I'm so excited about it because, you know, you're going to gift this to the listeners and we're going to put the links below to that video you talked about with the ecosystem with wolves being introduced, where they can find you, Martha how they can find out more about the Wolf Conservation Center and how they can join in with this and help. So that's going to be below the episode, but you can share this gift. They're going to love it. (laughs) Great. So I'm going to give two chapters, the first two chapters of my novel, in the hopes that you will be so blown away and, you know, a part of the story so quickly that you will want to keep reading. Yes, it's a, it's a wonderful book. Thank you so much. And well, if they read two chapters, they're in. Yes. <laughs> and then they're going to have such a gift of your storytelling and what, what you've written there and become part of this movement that you've created. So Martha, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and soul, which we've all felt, your wisdom on moving from grief to gratitude and your inspirational book, Winter of the Wool. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast with Moira Sutton. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please join our community at moirasutton.com and continue the discussion on our Facebook page, Create the Life You Love. You will be part of a global movement connecting with other heart-centered people who are consciously creating the life they love on their own terms. Together, we can raise our consciousness for the greater good of humanity and for our planet.